Raptors Reasonless is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts. And because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. If you didn't get enough of the Toronto Raptors ring ceremony the first time, Wednesday, December 11th, is the return of Kawhi Leonard, the NBA Finals MVP. He will receive his ring. That would be a good opportunity to see it one more time. That should be a fun one. The Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonables Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me, as always, fresh from Toronto Raptors practice, Eric Green. Eric, what is going on, buddy? Not too much. Uh, just being sad, listening to some national, looking at the rainy, the quasi-rainy day out the window. It's, it's hard getting used to these Raptors losses, man. It's true. The national are the one, like... Every everyone with musical overlap with me, like musical taste overlap with me, and if you were to draw out all the bands that I like, like a Venn diagram, the National should be right there in the center. I can't do it. I don't like them. Uh, that's even, fine. Even though they were the former theme song of this podcast, that's fine, and I understand it. And uh, I'd say Matt Berenger's voice isn't for everybody, and I think on albums they can often sound very sameish. Um, but I think. I don't want to be one of those guys who's like, the live show will change your life. Because it won't, but it just it opens up a more aggressive avenue of the band than you would probably associate with like the uh, staid, uh, slightly removed adult uh, image of the National. Yeah. And the fact that he like chugs a full bottle of uh, white wine over the course of a couple as, songs. As he says in one song, all the wine is all for me. There you go. You can hear more takes like this on my other podcast, uh, which I won't plug. However, a wine adjacency in <laughs> the Toronto Raptors Tuesday night loss to the Miami Heat that we'll get into. Tease. Look at that teaser. Uh, Eric, you were at practice. I was not. I was filming something uh, so people don't get too excited. No, I'm not making a return arc from when I start on the Hit USA Network show Psych. Uh, it was something else much less exciting than when I was the star of the hit usa network show it's like eric what i miss at practice man uh not too much uh a lot of talk about what went wrong you know comparatively wrong last night and it was still nick nick nurse mentioned you know they just again they didn't have the requisite energy they messed up a lot of the defensive assignments and defensive scheming that they'd used so brilliantly uh and not quite enough uh flow on offense i think would be the uh general idea i tried to start some uh philosophical conversations about whether james harden is good or bad in terms of aesthetics nobody was really having it because their job is to win basketball games not improve or uh, you know, publicly state that he's less than ideal to watch. So I did get the, a real kick out of, yeah. on Monday night, someone yelling at James Harden, no one paid to see free throws, and him snapping back, no one paid to see fouls either, goddammit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Zach Lowe's made the point on his podcast, if you don't like it, stop him. 
don't foul yep. them and play defense the way the rules are enforced within those rules. And uh, I mean, credit. I personally, I don't. He's not my favorite player to watch. I don't like watching the Rockets play particularly, but this isn't a style contest. It's a basketball contest under the rules that they've uh, agreed upon. And James Harden has really found a way to manipulate them in his and his team's advantage. So, you know, it's what we want everybody to do. I just wish it were happening in a way that was more aesthetically pleasing. I tend to not enjoy the Rockets in relative terms. Obviously, a Rockets game and seeing a player at the peak of James Harden is is always fun. Um, I tend to enjoy them a little less in relative to the rest of the league when they're playing poor teams or poor defenses. Uh, I find them endlessly interesting when they're playing good defenses and you get a a good crew of defensive personnel or or a smart defensive coach or ideally both trying to stop Harden in creative ways and seeing how he adjusts to that and how defense adjusts to him. We might get such a thing on Thursday when the Houston Rockets visit the Toronto Raptors. First, though, let's tidy up this Tuesday night loss to the Miami Heat. The Raptors drop a 121-110 overtime decision to the Heat. The fact that it even went to overtime, bit of a miracle. The Raptors did not play well, as you mentioned Nurse was alluding to. Uh, Nurse said that when he watched the film back, had there not been a score on the screen, he would have thought they were down by 35 in the final minute rather than leading in the final minute, uh, just it's fairly bad across the board. The Raptors shot 38.5%. They shot 11 of 43 on threes, which is 25.6%. They lost the rebounding battle, only narrowly won the turnover battle, which is an area they normally win. Uh, really hung around because of a major edge at the free throw line. Not that anyone in the comments or on Twitter would would have you believe it. A uh, bit of a friendly whistle early and then some interesting calls down the stretch, but really a, a lot of damage done for the Raptors at the free throw line, uh, didn't win the possession game and got outshot. So uh, kind of a maker list, maker miss league kind of game. Uh, the fact that they took it to overtime against a very good team that's played pretty well on the road so far uh, is a testament, I think, to the floor that this team has established. And they've established that floor even when guys have been injured. Uh, guys are not injured as much anymore. Serge Ibaka returns Sunday against the Utah Jazz in a ridiculous victory. Kyle Lowry returned Tuesday against the Miami Heat in a less resounding way. Lowry shot 2 of 18, 0 of 11 at the three-point line, 8 of 8 at free throws to help the overall efficiency, Uh, 6 rebounds, 11 assists, some great defense down the stretch to make the comeback possible, but there is no way to spin really a 2 for 18 game with a minus 14 marker. Eric, it's time to fire Kyle Lowry into the sun. The Toronto Raptors can never win with them. They'll never win a championship. People have been saying it for years. Can't win a title with Kyle Lowry. Can't win a December game against the Miami Heat with Kyle Lowry. He's too... Firing him to the Phoenix Suns would be too good for him. Fire him into the sun. Stretch provision that contract extension right now. Spread that out over seven years. Eric, Kyle Lowry cut by Thursday morning, right? Yeah, no. And I mean, the thing about it is he's patently selfish, only going for his own stats. Uh... He put his own desire to play ahead of the Raptors' desire to win. Um, and he just should have never come back, I guess. It would be the uh, the extreme of that argument, which I guess I'm making. Um, In seriousness, <laughs> um, look, I don't, I don't mean to mock the people who had 
I those do. takes, but I felt like some people took that to an awful extreme. Yes, Nurse probably played him a little too bit too much first game back with 41 minutes. Um, no, Kyle probably shouldn't have admitted that he hadn't gotten a full basketball workout in before returning against a very good team. However, more often than not, when a player is healthy, bringing him back and letting him work it out in games is the way to go. There's, you know, there's a logical endpoint to don't come back until you're ready. Because at some point, you know, a guy's going to be ready and, and you could still say that stuff. We, we ran into it with the Ibaka injury where people were like, don't rush him back, don't rush him back. But at a certain point, he's healthy and he's ready to go. Lowry maybe could have got another practice in or, or something like that. I wonder if they didn't want him to come back against Houston or against Philly because those are equally, this is this is not a, exactly a week that has a lot of soft points for him to return against. Um, so not certainly not the best foot forward. And a little unlike Lowry to shoot as many shots as 18 or shoot as many threes as 11 when a shot isn't there. Uh, what were your, just aside, what was your take on Lowry's return? Yeah, I mean, the longer his poor shooting went on, I mean, I I don't think you ever turn down good shots. And I think he only did that once. And I believe it was when he was 0 for 10, he turned down a good shot and it resulted in a turnover. I don't think he took the best shots at some point. It seemed like he was, to the extent that he forces it, I, I thought there were some, you know, semi-contested threes that he he could have tried to, and I think this goes for the whole team, like there just wasn't quite enough attacking uh, from a number of points. Uh, they make such a big point o- over paint touches, uh, you know, or touch the paint and then kick out. And that's what they want to keep on doing, basically. So the defense has to keep moving. And, you know, I haven't gone back and watched the whole game game film, but to me, it felt like the whole team and Lowry included, and maybe in particular, uh, at least until the fourth quarter, weren't getting into the guts of the defense enough. And now, you know, this is something I wonder about that game in general. You know, you hear about their energy not being quite right. And this, you know, the nine and two run that they were on, it was sort of built on, on that energy. Is it, you know, a coincidence that their energy was relatively low against a team that is similarly built, that is similarly plucky and feisty and all those intangible words like Miami. I mean, they make you work. That's what they do. And there's a lot of good defenders out there. And I don't think the Raptors ever found rhythm on either end. And to your earlier point, that they went to overtime is pretty incredible. It says a lot about what this team is going to give even on one of its worst nights. Uh, But Lowry certainly never found his rhythm. And it was an odd game. And there were some shots I'm sure he would rather do some different things with in, in hindsight. Yeah, not the uh, not the best. You mentioned a team like the Miami Heat and the Raptors' low energy in that one. I think that that's probably the first time all season the Raptors have been not outworked, but maybe played with less of force than the other team. You know, there's there are a handful of tryhard teams in the league, and the Raptors are among them. And I think sometimes when you've been winning in large part because you're outworking another team and winning the hustle categories and things like that, uh, meeting a team who works just as hard as you and, and focuses on those little things just as much uh, can be a little a little bit of a shock to the system. And so as the schedule you know gets a little tougher again here, I wonder I wonder how much that's going to play out there. Obviously against the Houston Rockets on Thursday, who are a pretty tough team as well. Maybe not 
as well known for for doing those same kind of things, uh, at least so far this season. Uh, they run into the Philadelphia 76ers on the weekend who, you know, maybe that's part of what their, where their struggles have been, but they've been very, very good defensively and most of their troubles come on the offensive end. So uh, it's going to be a couple of big tests ahead. I was curious. Uh, so obviously Lowry returns and plays 41 minutes. Nick Nurse was criticized a little bit for that. Fred Van Vliet played 43. Nurse had mentioned before the game that he thinks ideally he'd have those down around 32, 33 for Lowry, maybe 35 for Van Vliet. Um, obviously there are going to be nights, especially an overtime night, where those will be up around 40. Lowry would have played 36 had this ended in regulation. Van Vliet 38. Numbers that I don't think anyone would have been too upset about. Uh, but I did think it was notable that he relied pretty heavily on his top seven again here. Roddy Hales Jefferson played 17 minutes, Terrence Davis 15. Um, but, you know, Kyle Lowry was having an objectively poor game and played it out down the stretch. And Van Vliet and Siakam are probably established enough now that they're not at much risk of of being sad if they're playing even okay games, but they were not playing particularly well either. Uh, I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts on how the rotation shook out uh, both with Lowry back and playing 41 minutes and Serge Ibaka being back now. He only played 22, but this is two games in a row that Chris Boucher has been out of the rotation, uh, at least until garbage time in the one example. Uh, I'm generally fine with it. Uh, specifically, I think I'd like to see more Terrence Davis. I just think that's an easy number to bump up that will in turn bump down the minutes of Lowry and and Van Vliet. Like, the simple math I did before he came back was, you know, he was at about eight minutes per game before the Lowry injury. And if you just give him 10 more minutes and take five off of both Lowry and and Van Vliet, then they're at like 34 and 32 instead of 39 and 37. So, I mean, that's and that is complicated. However, you know, not impossibly, but it's complicated by the fact that they're both starting. Uh, Lowry and Van Vliet. And I think they should be for now. Uh, I think it was very promising to see Norman Powell contribute how he contributed uh, on Tuesday night. He was a big factor in that uh, in that comeback. And he's had himself a, a very good week since all of the inconsistency talk, which is totally valid. And we discussed again today at practice. Uh, but here's the uh, thing with consistency. Yeah. temporarily being better does not no exactly does not shift the conversation it just highlights that you've been inconsistent because you were worse before necessitating that yeah. conversation yeah he's been we very good though he had 23 points and eight rebounds uh and he got those 23 points on just 17 used possessions he and was uh pretty clearly the most efficient raptor i also thought and i mean there won't be many games where we say that for sure but in a game where they looked very tentative around Bam Adebayo, uh, but in the first half especially, he was somebody who was not afraid and was sort of looking to puncture that the paint uh, and the first line of Miami defense and make things happen uh, in there. I thought he, he played great, uh, and Terrence Davis did that a little bit too. He made a really nice play off of a catch to feed... Uh, <sighs> Who who got it might have been Rondé Hollis Jefferson in a in a Kyle and Bench unit. Uh, anyway, uh, they need they needed more of that on that night uh, on on Tuesday night, and they'll need it going forward. Uh, saying that, like Kyle and Fred, even though they're not the quick, we know you know all the knocks on them. They've they know how to get into the paint. They know how to you know uh, kick it kick it out from there. They know how to work the angles to make great passes. And, uh, 
Again, considering Lowry had an off night, Van Vliet had nothing special night. I think Siakam, that right up there with the Orlando game for his worst game of the year, that he took only four shots and at the end of regular the second half and overtime is kind of inexplicable and and inexcusable really uh but he took the blame for that after the game he said you know i I saw some people wondering whether you know the lowry adjustment and realignment of the rotation had any effect on siakam and van vliet i would see it a little bit with van vliet where him and lowry have to feel each other out and feel out you know who's the guy when kind of thing just like damar and lowry had to do and just like lowry and Kawhi had to do siakam has kind of you know, it's not exactly Kawhi early last year, but he kind of runs his own stuff and his usage. Obviously, they run plays for him and he runs plays for other people, but he's kind of separate of that. And the other thing is when you add another playmaker like Lowry back to the lineup, I don't think that that's a skill like ball handling and passing are not skills that there should be diminishing returns for. They should be multipliers where the more guys like that who can shoot, pass and put the ball on the floor on the floor, on the court you have at once, the easier it is for everyone. I thought Siakam's issues were largely due to his own decision-making and his own aggression. Uh, obviously, there are some stretches where the Raptors probably could have used him as a screener more creatively to try to get him away from Bam or, or get him attacking Bam on the move with a bit of an advantage. Uh, but a lot of that, like Siakam himself said after the game, was just him needing to be uh, more aggressive. I think, you know, I think people forget a little bit sometimes that he is 20 games into jumping from a strong complimentary piece to being asked to carry on a star's workload. And that's going to have some adjustment periods, just like it did last year with Jonathan Isaac and Joel Embiid and Giannis and who and Draymond and whoever else was guarding him. Um, I think he gets the benefit of the doubt with some of these learning games that, uh, you know, he'll improve from it. And, you know, you would think that based on the way he talked after the game, that kind of passiveness won't be a, you know, it's something that he's aware that he fell into there and will try not to do again. For sure. And like, this is, and for the record, Nurse did take some of the blame saying he didn't, you know, in a vague way, didn't put his players, you know, didn't get the ball where it needed to go a few times last night. Uh, you know, the coaches aren't going to get more, much more specific to that than that. Um, but like Siakam's defining trait is probably at this point that he's a quick learner. So that's what the regular season's for, guys. Like, I I know you want to win as many games as possible, and home court is shaping up to be really important the way all five of these teams and and the Pacers, too, are playing at home. Uh, But there are still reps for the playoffs. You know, all 82 games aren't, aren't, aren't like exhibition, as Kawhi Leonard famously said last year but you still in in a team that is you know growing and figuring itself out and you've got you know certainly two of your most important players in Van Vliet and Siakam taking on much bigger roles than they've had before you have to give them chances to and accept that there will be failures along the way and that they performed so well without Lowry uh, and, you know, to a lesser extent to Baca because he just doesn't have as much of an effect on what they're doing offensively out there. It, you know, it's a lot of credit to them. But as you wrote uh, yeah, at The Athletic, like their ceiling is just higher when these players are available and they have so many more options now and uh, bad performance and a close loss to a very good team is not something to get too worked up about 
Unfortunately, it's followed by two more games against very good teams, but, you know, the stuff tends to even out as the year goes on. Do you think that there is a growing rift between Fred Van Bleed and Kyle Lowry now that Kyle is firmly Adidas and James, Hardis, James Harden, who is also Adidas, is coming to town, and Fred Van Bleed has now signed with Andwan? Uh, probably. Uh, I I think uh, how long can it be before we see a Ray Alston esque I refuse to shoot game from one of yeah. them. Fred Van Vliet, who, by the way, has been wearing the old and one Thai cheese of late, which take me back. If you've ever wondered how to get the hottest new sneakers, the ones that barely hit the shelves, the answer is StockX, a revolutionary new marketplace for buying and selling 100% authentic sneakers, streetwear, watches, and handbags, whether it's the and one Thai cheese, the Kyle Lowry uh, Pro Bounce Lowe's, that, that gold and camo look that he released last year, whether it's a James Harden, uh, wherever you need, whatever you need to find, you can find it all and more on StockX, sometimes even for prices lower than retail. If you want in on all the hype, check out StockX.com slash bball for a surprise offer that won't be around long. That's StockX.com slash bball. Check it out today. Eric, James Harden is coming to town. How do you, the Raptors have gotten a lot of attention for how they've slowed stars down for most of the year and I think an interesting takeaway in the early going is that the stars who most effectively pass decisively out of those that extra attention have tended to have the most success Luka Doncic had maybe not the most efficient shooting night but he took over kind of the first and fourth quarter and he was excellent as a playmaker against extra attention. Jimmy Butler on Tuesday night dished 12 dimes. Uh, he also got 22 points on, on 7 of 16 shooting. So it's not like he uh, he had a ton of trouble getting his own shot. Most of that was damage done in overtime with OG Ananobi sitting on the bench. Uh, OG had had a little trouble with him for stretches, uh, picking up a couple fouls, uh, but also poking the ball loose a couple times. Anyway, Jimmy Butler, 12 assists out of that attention. That... Even even Kawhi Leonard had, I think, nine assists, but he, he committed nine turnovers as well in that game. That would seem to be how the stars with the playmaking capability to do so have approached the Raptors so far. Uh, I don't know that the Raptors will come away from their strategy of getting the ball out of the best opposing players' hands. That, with James Harden, can be taken to an extreme. Teams have done that. James Harden has been vocal in how, about how many double teams he's seeing and, and how rare that kind of defensive attention is is during his, during his career and the point that it's gotten to now, I don't think the Raptors will be shy about doing that if they feel like that's the best strategy. Uh, Eric, do you think they'll stick to that? Do you think this is a OG Ananobi plus lots of help on Harden and dare the other Rockets to, to beat you kind of night? I think they'll, it will trend in that direction. I mean, Houston's a unique proposition with the amount of just one-on-one play they run. Uh, the Rockets have not been very good in minutes with both Harden and Westbrook on the floor, uh, let alone moments where Harden isn't on the floor. Uh, that's not necessarily here nor there when Harden is on the floor, but I, I think, you know, he's he's a tricky play. He might be, along with maybe Doncic, the best player at splitting traps or doubles in the league like he's you know so physical but so you know cagey that he's able to do that so the Raptors will have to make sure when you know whoever's guarding the screener or coming to double uh, does come they'll have to make sure there's very little room in between them 
because if you know if you break through a double or a trap that's when you're really in trouble if you're against the rockets or or pretty much any other team but Harden knows how to drag these things out, right? Like he'll keep his dribble alive until the last possible moment and and really see how far you're going to take your defense out of position uh, to where there will be an odd man advantage uh, that you're trying to recover from. Uh, I just think that's what the Raptors have done. So they're going to continue to do it uh, while throwing in some just, you know, let's make him shoot a lot of, th- let's, I, I think they'll live with his big diet of threes. Harden was four of 20 uh, against the Spurs. He's not shooting particularly well from deep this season. Uh, so I, I don't think you want to, that to be the default. We're doing it every possession necessarily, but I do think that's the way they'll go. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, James Harden living with the variance on a high volume of threes, he's averaging 14.3 attempts per game. Uh, that is maybe more tolerable than being in foul trouble and having to scramble to, you know, protect the paint. He's also averaging 14.9 free throw attempts. As a team, the Houston Rockets get to the line per field goal attempt better than any other team. They also shoot more threes as a proportion of their field goal attempts than any other team. So be ready for a lot of threes and a lot of free throws. Uh, this is a Maury ball offense, as people have come to say. They're also the number three offense in basketball. Within that, though, you mentioned, you know, living with not only Harden's three-point percentage, which is at 34.4%, but there is not, at least right now, a ton of shooting around him. The The Rockets rank 26th in the NBA with a 34% mark from outside. There's some, you know, you can look at some variance there that that might come their way. I don't think Westbrook will shoot only 23%. I certainly don't think Eric Gordon will only shoot 28%. But you also have a guy like P.J. Tucker shooting 46%. Um, You know, Chris Clemens getting those garbage time threes up at 40%. So uh, this is maybe not as deep a shooting Rockets roster as they've had in the past. And that might embolden the Raptors even more to um, bet on everyone but Harden not being able to beat them. Uh, the Raptors so far, if you believe in such a thing, have held, have done a good job limiting opponent three-point percentage. They're, uh, they have the fifth best mark at 33.6%. Generally, we don't think that teams can affect that a ton with shooter selection and selectively closing out and things like that. Um, but there are some teams who, over a large multi-season sample, like the Boston Celtics, have shown they can suppress that a little bit um, whether that's just extended extreme variance or, uh, you know, there's something to that schematically, it's hard to quantify. But so far, Raptors opponents are not shooting super well on threes, which is good because they're allowing a ton of them <laughs> yeah. uh, with the with the idea that, you know, no one has protected the, the rim better than the Toronto Raptors and they're not sending opponents to the free throw line very much. So um, all of those defensive tenets for the Raptors will be tested on Thursday against the Rockets. Uh, the other end of the floor is much Less of a question. The Rockets top out as probably an average defense. They have some nice pieces. Um, you know, Harden is a better post defender than he gets credit for. They have P.J. Tucker. Clint Capella can protect the rim a little bit. But I think this is more of a challenge for the Raptors uh, with their defense than it is uh, for their offense. Also, I mentioned Eric Gordon and his three-point shooting variance. He's out. He won't be uh, He won't be playing. Daniel House also is day-to-day with an illness and missed uh, the San Antonio game. So keep an eye on that because he has been their best three-point shooter other than P.J. Tucker so far. He's a really nice story so far this season. Yeah, uh, Nurse on dealing with Harden uh, and what he told his players said, uh, 
You tell them all the obvious things, get your hands back, don't bite on his pump fakes, try to limit his free throw attempts. And then when you foul him and he goes to the line, you don't get too upset about it. It's kind of what happens out there. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> this is but, the thing. Like, I I don't mention the free throw weights for no reason. I mention them because, you know, this is some, you know, that this is, this will be the discussion that kills me eventually. Um, <laughs> Equal or fair does not mean equal when it comes to free throws. Yeah. Some guys and some teams are better at getting them. It's a skill. Uh, it's a skill. The Rockets are the best in the league. Yeah. They also don't foul opponents a ton in part because they have some defenders who don't defend a lot. And it's, uh, you know, it's easier to get a foul when you're defending pretty intensely. The Raptors have actually been on the positive side of the free throw variance so far this year as well. Don't um, tell the fans that. Yeah, I know, but it, it was it that wouldn't matter anyway because the entire DeRozan era they took way more free throws than they than the opponents, and it was still an anti-Toronto. Conspiracy. But that's because Demar was good at getting foul. Oh wait, yeah, anyway. exactly, <laughs> exactly. Anyway, it'll be I'm sure it'll be annoying, and I'm sure there'll be a couple calls you don't agree with. But James Harden is going to get his free throws. If he has single-digit free throws, you have done a, probably an excellent job defending James Harden for the night, mm. unless he's just lived on. On layups, uh, the Rockets yeah. also play at a pretty fast pace, which kind of makes all of this even more difficult. It was something of a criticism of them in the past, and maybe something where Westbrook could have helped. That you know, the Rockets, for all the talent of James Harden and the system around him, could sometimes be a little plodding. They are third in the NBA in pace. Still, maybe a little too early to tell with the Westbrook's adjustment period and all the injuries they've had, whether that's the right move for them. Uh, but it does suggest the Raptors are going to have to get back like hell uh, on defense and transition, too. Because, you know, while Harden isn't the individual transition machine that a Giannis is, you still want to get two bodies to him quick so he doesn't, you know, run to the rim and hit a trailer or uh, even worse, pull up yeah. for three. Turnovers are going to tell a lot about this game because, uh, I mean... Houston, both of those guys, Russ and uh, Harden, can have their moments with turnovers. Uh, we know what the Raptors do with turnovers. Uh, they score off of them. <laughs> and uh, going back to the Miami game, that's something that Nurse pointed out is like, you know, we couldn't turn over the most turnover prone team in the league. So go figure that. Uh, and- the nice thing, The nice thing for the Rockets, though, must be that um, so Harden and Westbrook both turn the ball over a lot individually per game, but as a team, their turnover rate is pretty pedestrian because no one else touches the ball. Yeah. So yeah, it's just, if you can put a bit of pressure on them and particularly Harden and force a few more bad decisions that he normally makes, which is another reason to be more aggressive with sending a second or sending help toward him than to not, and to play him straight up, then that plays into your uh advantage if you're the raptors because we all know the raptors are at their best when they're causing live ball turnovers and you know really leveraging the athleticism and shooting that they uh well the athleticism that they have and the shooting that they seem to have i will say yeah so later in the week they will get the philadelphia 76ers you know we talk we talk sometimes about statement games or games that mean a lot to one side or whatever um not or whatever. I don't mean to dismiss this. I think it's an actual thing. I think a game like Tuesday, for example, was one where the Miami Heat are the only one of those East teams at the top that have beat another on the road, and they kind of have their chests out about that, and they maybe sensed that the Raptors with a, a top guy coming back were 
you know, some, it was easy eating, not easy eating, but potential eating. And they took advantage of that. And I think because Miami's a newer team to that top of the East echelon, uh, maybe that meant a little bit more to them. Not that doesn't excuse the, the Raptors level of play, obviously, but it maybe maybe that's a factor in the, the difference in intensity level there for the first three quarters. As the Raptors visit Philadelphia, you know, if they're coming off of a loss to Houston, I think they'll be pretty hungry. If they're coming off of a win to Houston, they might still be hungry. I mean, anytime, look, anytime you can you can beat a division rival and a, and a conference rival, it's a good thing. But I do wonder with how things have been going for the 76ers and how incredible a win the Raptors last meeting with Philadelphia in Toronto was if that's another case where that game's going to matter a lot more to uh, the Philadelphia 76ers. It's going to matter to Kyle Lowry the most because games in Philadelphia always do and then it's going to matter to the 76ers uh, a little bit more. Uh, The Raptors also on a back-to-back but the front end of a back-to-back with Chicago the next night so not sure that'll be a huge factor in that game. What are you looking for in the the rematch with Philadelphia? Not sure we can pencil in Joel Embiid for just zero points again. Yeah. (laughs) Um... Uh, overall, in the next uh, little while, I'm very interested in OG Ananobi's defense, I would say. Uh, and again, because the Raptors use so much zone and so many traps and even double teams that it's not just OG's defense that bears watching. But to my eyes, at least, I think he's slipped a bit since the beginning of the season. Uh, How dare you? It's, it's a tough job. As Nick Nurse said repeatedly today, there's always, you know, a big fat, especially when you're playing these good teams, there's always somebody who's probably going to score 20 or, or more on you that you have to deal with. Um, but I, I'm interested in how he looks against what I would imagine is the bulk of the Harden assignment and then the bulk of the Ben Simmons assignment, maybe. Um, if not him, then, then Tobias Harris, but I'd imagine it will be Simmons for, for most of the most case. Uh, I want to see, I mean, MB adjusting to, you know, now eight games against the Raptors, many of which were not good from an offensive perspective will be fascinating. And what you talked about, I mean, yeah, it will matter more to the Sixers. So how do you match that intensity? I know it's December. It's not a you know measuring stick or whatever but this team again is so based on its effort and its energy and you know that that's sort of what's made them so easy to love early in this season well bring it in such bring it in a situation where that shouldn't be the case bring it in a situation where you expect the other team to have an you know more reason to come out like that and that's that's mental stuff right uh it's physical here's the the reason yeah go ahead here's the reason the energy's been low chris boucher removed from the rotation yes obviously yes no more bone slickness no more slim duck in seriousness do you think that they've lost not maybe maybe not lost something because it's only been two games and obviously you're getting superior players back but that Davis, Hollis Jefferson, Boucher bench trio was in such a groove that was based so much on those things um, that, you know, maybe like obviously there's an adjustment period to playing with new guys and having new rotation patterns and things like that. Um, but do you think that there's something lost in the short term uh, breaking that trio up? It doesn't look like Boucher is going to be involved much behind Siakam, Hollis Jefferson, see uh, Ibaka Gasol and then Ananobi to some degree I think it's valid um I don't think it 
is more important than the things you're getting in return, but it, it does better players. Yes. It, uh, as I wrote at the athletic, like culture is great, but talent with culture is, is, you know, better. Uh, not that, not that Chris Boucher isn't talented guys. You know what I'm saying? Or maybe you don't to take my words out of context. I don't care. I'm with Nick nurse. Um, no, uh, it's, He's he definitely provides a spark. Like he's so active on the rebound uh, on on the glass. He's you know always flailing away in one direction or another uh, on the glass, taking hits. You know, doing what he can to get his hands on rebounds and keeping it alive multiple times so he or a teammate can get it. And you know, th- not having that bouncy of a guy out there does you know, alter your identity a little bit. Like, Ibaka's great. He's a much more sound defender. He's, you know, a very good rim protector and probably makes better decisions on, you know, when to help and and when not to. But he's not going to be jumping four times in the span of one second, probably. (laughs) Not Not on those knees. So it's different. And I would be surprised, like, I... I thought maybe he could have found a Nick Nurse could have found a spot last night. I wouldn't be surprised if he finds a spot against Houston for Boucher, uh, just because they do spread you out so much uh, that he's he also could, a really good trapper. Yeah, uh, and so he could be valuable for all these reasons uh, again, and maybe that comes at the expense of Davis or Hollis Jefferson or. Or you know the point guard or Powell even um, we'll see. It's it's look. It's a lot of bodies to consider. A lot of very useful to regularly useful players to consider. And uh, it's easy to say the game demands what the game demands, and it's on Nurse to make those decisions as as it happens. And it is that's that's true. But it's not easy to make those decisions as as they come in complicated in you know complicated NBA games it's uh it's a complex league man you can you can you know you man makes plan god laughs it's one of those things yeah i don't know about god well we don't have to get into plan james harden and the nba officials laugh yeah the the, the god part is a yiddish proverb so uh, i you know Substitute, use God or don't use God. I'm not trying to judge here. Uh, you know, the powers that be, let's just say, laugh. <laughs> um, one other thing I wanted to mention, uh, it's kind of out of place here after we've just talked about Houston and Philly games. Uh, Marcus All has been really good offensively the last two games. Uh, I only met, I, I want to shoehorn it in here, even though the point in the conversation has kind of passed, just because there was so much discussion about uh, his shaky offense earlier in the year and his, you know, passiveness. He was through the first 18 games of the season shooting 30.9% overall, uh, 35.1% from three, averaging 5.8 points in 28.6 minutes. Over the last two games, he is nine for 17. He's 5'11 on threes. He has 25 points in 58 and a half minutes. Things have turned around nicely. He even hit one of those weirdo, like, I've posted out too far, but I'm running out of time and I'm going to do this funky fadeaway from the elbow shots last night. Uh, I think the reason here is that Marcus Gasol and I talked about uh, Spanish music before the game and it just got him in a in a jazzy vibe. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about 
I mentioned the wine teas earlier. You know, we talked about that as a potential solution. He doesn't need it. He's uh, he's rolling again now. Obviously, you know, I don't know that you can pencil Gasol in for 11 and 14 points every night anymore. But nice to see some of that confidence come back and a little bit of that, you know, lift inside the paint where, uh, hey, he hit three twos in a game. That was the yeah. see it all season. Yeah, you, you want your, I mean, the beauty of Siakam is that he can score from all over the floor, right? And you want that from as many players as possible. And Gasol basically going two for 43 from, you know, 16 feet and in to start the year, whatever it was, was not good. Uh, I love watching Marc Gasol play. He's currently probably my favorite player to watch <laughs> on the team. Like, it's it's just endlessly fascinating to see how he navigates uh you know, his, the reality. Mortality. <laughs> yes. As he navigates that and also being the smartest player on the floor. And I'd probably, I'm getting to the point where I might even consider Kyle Lowry in that group. Like they're really close. I, I, it's not a contest obviously, but let's make it a contest. Who's smarter basketball wise. Uh, we don't have to answer that now. I'm enjoying his work. I was enjoying it when he was not scoring very much. And if he is, that's, I don't want to call it a bonus because I, I think at times they're going to need that offense from him. But it's nice to know that it might be there and he's not just necessarily, you know, a, a space, a space five on offense with, you know, incredible passing skills. All right, so despite the loss to the Miami Heat, your Toronto Raptors rank 7th in the NBA in offensive rating, 4th in defensive rating, 3rd in net rating. They are in pretty good shape. A couple of tough games this week still to come. Houston in Toronto, and then on the road in Philadelphia, on the road in Chicago, not quite as tough a game. And then next week, Kawhi Leonard returns. I think, Eric, we probably got a lot of the Kawhi talking out of the way when they first played him. I'm not sure there's anything novel to say about Kawhi having left and what Kawhi's doing with the Clippers and Kawhi's return to Toronto other than the ring ceremony would be cool. Uh, I think it'd be funny if they did the Patrick Patterson and Lou Williams video tributes before they did Kawhi Leonard. So Kawhi is like the third or fourth time out, depending on if Fiondu Cavangeli gets one. <laughs> I think that uh, that would be funny, but otherwise... Otherwise, I don't think there's a ton new. We might also talk to the people before then. I'm not sure what our schedule is like for next Look, week. it's going to be cool. Um, we've never seen something like this. Uh, the league hasn't seen something like this, as we've talked in the, in the Kawhi case. What he did last year was awesome. And they're, you know, having a moment to recognize, having a night to recognize that and appreciate it uh, and look back on it. Nostalgia's nice sometimes, as you said on your other podcast. Oh, yeah. The other podcast. The music podcast. The other unnamed project. Uh, Eric, I think that's about all we need to talk about for the Raptors for today. And we're running out of time for producer Tyler anyway. So, Eric, any quick parting shots before we let the people go until next week? No. Happy list reading season, everybody. Enjoy your best of lists and best of podcasts. Uh it's probably the best part about December. The, all the lists. Yeah, I love a list. Yeah. Let's let's list it up. I, I have no Raptors lists. I got my all-decade one out. I'm listed out. Yeah. I don't necessarily like... albums sometimes, though. Sometimes yeah, I don't necessarily them. like making them. I used to really like it. And now as I get old and decrepit and I just don't 
hear or see enough new things. I, I stop making them because my spirit is dead. Um, but you uh, won't believe this, but my sticking point for list making is that I tend to put way too much time and effort into things that don't matter. Yeah. So my year end album list will take me hours and hours and hours. Yes. As you told me yesterday, your top 75 is a top 96 right now, which seems yes, problematic. And it's only supposed to be a top 50. <laughs> Many. Um, I definitely did not listen to 50 new albums this year. I listened to, I always do like the quarterly call out uh, for what people are listening to and what people are really enjoying. So I find a lot of albums that way. And then, um, you know, I try to give every one of those albums or at least I'll usually listen to a song or two. And then if I like the song or two, I'll try to listen to the album yeah. once through to get a feel for it. So I can't stop um, listening to Alex Sandy G, like just three songs on that record. Like it's hard for me to stop listening to like three specific songs that are in order. Uh, that, that's where my brain is now. Uh, that's fair. Sometimes I, that happens. You get stuck in a loop and yeah, this is, this is the thing that like I've, I've tried to navigate over the years as I've, you know, started doing lists and hosting a music podcast and things like that is like, yeah, it's good to I, I think it's good and and important to find new stuff and be open with yes. your tastes and things like that. But also there's a lot of value in just like finding a song or an album or a chunk of an album that you really like and can go to and just listening, like wearing the treads out on that. Like yeah. that's that's what they're there for. If you like that more than the other stuff, listen to it I, more. I do think Not by Big Thief is probably my favorite song of the year, but I uh, I withhold the right to change my mind on that. That is not my favorite song of the year. I can't. Big Thief is another one like National that I just. Hmm. I know it's right there, just outside the wheelhouse, yeah. and it's. I just can't come. There's around There's something on that it. happens in the third verse where her voice cracks, and it's like very primal. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what it is about them. Anyway, not my favorite album of the year or favorite song. I'll well, have that they had they had point. two albums out. Uh, this yes, year. they did. Yeah. Them yes. and the baby dropping yeah. two albums in the same year. Uh, the old, I don't know how to treat that for list purposes. The old, uh, just as they're separate entities. Uh, like unless they're intended as a double album, they're separate entities. I mean, yeah, I, I feel like what I'll probably do is just like rank one and it just like mention. mention the other. Yeah, well, yeah, because well, it's like I don't. I mean, big, I'm not a huge Big Thief fan, and then the baby. I just think Kirk was so much better that it yeah. deserves inclusion on the list. Yeah, but. Anyway, that doesn't really matter. And then, like, Julia Michaels had a two-part EP with this, like, Inner Monologue 1 and Inner Monologue 2. It's like, I'm just counting that as one thing. Well, so. thank God you weren't around in the 90s when Guided by Voices was pumping out, like, five albums a year. And Or when Robin released Body Talk as a three-part album, and then it got released in the U.S. as a one-part album. Very confusing to go back and do an episode of a podcast on that. Yeah. Well, what a hero. Yeah. Anyway, Eric, thanks so much, uh, guys. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week following Houston, Philly, Chicago, and maybe the Clippers, depending on how the week works out. See ya! <laughs>